0: We have dictator as a head of our country, you know, so we can't say any word against him. Are you afraid? Yes, I am.
1: Hey, this is Matt. Just wanted to welcome you back from our COVID break. Today I had Alexander Herasimenka, he is a political scientist affiliated with the University of Westminster in the UK. We actually had him on up a little bit over a year ago. And today we talked about the events going on in Belarus. I
0: think that what Lukashenko had been doing over the last couple of months, once he saw the whole the whole story about uh, dissatisfaction with his rule, that definitely been clarified to him by his aides. he have been actually building a military cabinet. He, clearly he'd been preparing to rely on them and Till the very last drop. You're listening to the Slavic Connection, brought to you by the Center for Russian, East European and Eurasian Studies at the University of Texas at Austin. Меня зовут Светлана Тихановская. Я кандидат в президенты Республики Беларусь.
1: It's really a pleasure to have you on at this time. Great to meet you again. For a lot of people in the United States in particular who don't know the first thing about Belarus and really get so few chances to engage with it, this has really taken them by surprise. This presidential campaign and how tense it is. But I guess the first question I would have is, how long have people in Belarus felt that this election would be a momentous event. I think people of Belarus did
0: not expect much from this election even three or four months ago. But something happened in spring and this something I would uh, first of all say it's it's COVID happened and very weird response of the Belarusian government to the COVID pandemic perhaps was one of the key triggers that this
1: time changed things. So you you think that the coronavirus is one of the key factors that has weakened Lukashenko. Yeah, I think
0: actually there are three main triggers that really influence the current dissatisfaction uh, with the government and the current way of protest uh, in Belarus, which is very unusual for this authoritarian country. So the first thing I already mentioned is COVID pandemic. It's emotion. It's what provided emotional response. The second one is this window of political opportunity for anyone to express that dissatisfaction, which is election. We have elections in Belarus every five years, and this is when politics happens. And finally, it is how people started consuming media differently over the last three, two years. This relates to increased role of YouTube and increased role of political bloggers on YouTube. They became very influential people, and one of them actually have been running for, for these elections. Though he wasn't registered, he was put in prison, but his wife eventually became the main, they call it alternative candidate during this election. The main opponent of Lukashenko wasn't known. Even three months ago, she was known to no one, literally no one. And now she's the main opponent. How do you like it? I was just wife and mother. I was absolutely happy with my life. And now I'm going to find out if I will be registered as a candidate to president of our country.
1: That's the, really the fascinating story here. And I think for our listeners, it would be nice if you could just say a little bit more about this candidate, Tikhanovskaya, and how she gained such sudden popularity, and maybe mention some of the other candidates who tried to participate in the election, but were removed. Yeah, yeah. So there are quite
0: many people who challenged Lukashenka And while several of them were previously known politicians, they've been on this scene for a long time, three of them were not very known previously to political observers. Uh, One of them is already mentioned, Tichanowska, who is just apparently, she's wife of one of the most popular political bloggers in Belarus, YouTube bloggers, who just essentially in one year, he built a huge number of followers on YouTube and criticized government very openly. That's maybe what attracted people to his blog. And then he announced he's running for elections uh, in may and then he was arrested just in three or four weeks after this announcement then she decided uh, she said i'm gonna then run for elections i'm gonna try to be registered and she uh, she got registered other two prominent people who were not registered um, uh, for the last round they kind of representatives of the system i would say especially Zepkala, who used to be one of the uh, Key IT behind, as many people say, perhaps many people would agree, he was behind the development of IT sector in Belarus. He really helped to prosper this sector, to attract a lot of actually investment in Belarusian IT
1: sector from abroad as well, and develop it quite well but he was part of the system wasn't he also for a time he was belarus's ambassador to the united states
0: Uh, yeah he was one of the first ambassadors uh, of belarus to the united states i think and he was also a prominent guy within the administration of president he was uh, one who I mean, current president who was elected in 1994. So back then, he was actually part of his core team responsible for foreign policy. And the last guy, last guy is a banker, the chairman of, used to be chairman until he announced he is running, one of the largest banks in Belarus. Apparently that bank is owned by Gazprom, which is
1: the Russian company that sells gas around the world. Right, and you bring up Russia Russia played a large role in Belarus, uh, you know, as far back as we can remember, and there's, as always, there's a lot of finger pointing about who the Russian candidate is, and so I think I've seen articles accusing all three of those people that you name, that is Tikanovskaya, Tsapkala, and Babrika, all of them have been accused of being Russia's candidate. So the question is, are any of them truly Russia's candidate? Yeah, Who knows, really? I, I think it's a bit of a tradition during
0: uh, election periods in Belarus to accuse a candidate of being a Russian puppet. its its It's been happening since uh, since at least 2001. But we always should remember, I think, it's always important to remember that many people say that actually Lukashenko is the man pro-Russian politician in Belarus. <laughs> right, that was gonna it's very be hard, hard to compete point. with him. Right, Russia's candidate might be the incumbent. Yeah, yeah, but Tsipkala, Tsipkala, the one who was doing IT sector, he actually did a very weird thing recently. So he was not registered, and then he was threatened with imprisonment a couple of weeks ago, and then he decided to escape, to go to somewhere else abroad. And he chose Russia, apparently. He went to Moscow, and then he went to Kiev in Ukraine, and did a bit kind of a tour uh, around neighboring states. And from Kiev, he issued a statement inviting Putin to kind of address anti-Russian policy in Belarus, which is a very unusual step. Something similar had happened uh, in 2014 before the Crimean and the Donbas stories in Ukraine. So many people would were quite surprised with
1: this move by Zelensky, but it's it's perhaps a minor story. And I, I think we can't bring up you know the whole question of who's. Russia's candidate without immediately jumping to this story of the Russian mercenaries. So one of the other main twists of this presidential campaign has been the appearance of uh, Wagner mercenaries in Belarus. And of course, the whole cover story was that they were in transit, but they couldn't seem to keep their story straight. Some said they were going to Africa, others Syria, others Venezuela. And Lukashenko has accused them of being sent to Destabilize the country, or probably more likely secure the country in case things boil over in the aftermath. So I know that there's a lot of competing theories. Some people say that the Kremlin really did send these mercenaries. Others say that Lukashenko came up with it himself and kind of an improvisation. I I think we can be agnostic as to which version is true, and you, you can comment on that if you'd like, but what I'm really interested in is who does that story help in this election? Yeah, yeah.
0: So this is a very unusual story. I think it's also very uncommon a foreign state to detain Russian mercenaries anywhere. I mean, they've been playing some perhaps their own games in Africa, in Syria as well. Many people hate them. Of course, in Ukraine, absolutely. So it's only Lukashenko who managed to detain them, <laughs> which is, which seems to be also interesting because uh, it seems to be they are real. It doesn't look like they're not. So it seems to be they really belong to these uh, paramilitary military organizations from Russia that have been operated by by special services in Russia but what they wanted to do what they wanted to do in Belarus is not clear at all And it seems like I think Lukashenko tried to benefit from it, otherwise he wouldn't really order to arrest them. So he tried to benefit. I don't know what is the effect. I'm not sure whether he really gained anything. It seems like that majority of people, both people who are actively protesting his rule, and it's very unusual level of protest. We have a very rich protest culture, but it's still in terms of numbers. Over the last 10 years, we didn't see that kind of numbers. These people, they don't really much care about Russia or anything. And it's actually a bit worrying me as well, because like, I think actually if, if they were real guys, a real Putin sort of uh, missionaries sent to, I don't know, deal with Lukashenko in a way Russians or Soviets dealt, for instance, with Afghan presidents in 1979, those, those people would not be very kind of dismayed or they would not be very worried much about Lukashenko, unfortunately. It
1: seems like it's very kind of dark duck story i'm not sure really who sent them and who can benefit i think it's interesting to bring up that i believe on a phone call today Zelensky asked for lukashenko to extradite to ukraine those uh wagner mercenaries who are accused of human rights abuses and terrorism and separatism in uh, the east of ukraine do you have any idea if lukashenko would be able to give them up because a lot of people are saying that maybe Lukashenko took them as hostages to get Russia to support him in the, in the election, to scare Moscow so that they would support him, be more inclined to openly support him. It seems to me that uh, Russia didn't really care much about their
0: military before. so they of course care, but not that not too much, not as say European EU countries would care about their citizens. I have no idea what they would uh, what they what we do with them, uh, and uh, but I don't I also don't remember any cases when Belarus would pass any Russian any 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 person being accused of um, war crimes, for instance, to Ukraine. I don't remember any case like that. But
1: I, I think it is a good segue into how these elections are going to go.
0: Do you think you can win? We don't believe in honest elections, but I still believe that our president will understand that his time is over. People don't want him anymore.
1: What have we seen in the past in Belarus? We've seen Lukashenko win. He gets like 80% of the vote. Some kind of technical opposition candidate gets like, you know, 20% or something around there. And Lukashenko wins. You know, this has been going on for I, since 1994, so for 26 years. And so I think the expectation is that this, this the exact same thing will happen again. Lukashenko will get a very large percentage, and Tikhanovskaya, who's unified the opposition, will get a much smaller percentage. The question is, what will happen afterwards? And I know that this year, there are internet resources and social media and people have told me that society and the people are much more care much more about these elections than previous ones. As you mentioned earlier, there is a tradition of protest in Belarus, but what does that protest lead to? It just leads to protest for a few days and then it kind of disperses because security forces crack down very hard on the protesters.
0: They can do anything. They can take my children to orphanage or something like this. Maybe we are having
1: an uh, illegal meeting here, who knows? No, here is forbidden to do anything everywhere, so get used to this. And so how do you see the, the voting actually going?
0: As an election observer, I've been organizing the election observation movements in Belarus for several years, and my experience suggests that uh, votes are not counted, and I don't think they will be counted this time. So numbers that have been announced, they will never represent the reality, and we will never know the real results. And the announced results will be definitely definitely in favor of Lukashenko. In the first two, he wins with about 80-70% of votes.
1: But will the all of the new monitoring tools... So I've seen one that a friend sent me called Zuber. And it's it has literally every single voting place in the country. It has all the members of the voting commission. It has a very um, user-friendly system to log complaints and file them. And what they tell me is that these tools have not existed in the past in this scale, and people didn't know about them on this scale. So yeah. that, does that have any effect on this situation?
0: It's great that many people have been involved now, and more and more people, it's the largest uh, election observation movement in Belarus history, perhaps. And many people wanted to be involved in politics and specifically through election observation is great. I think some, something similar been happening in, in Russia 2012, if I'm not mistaken, this kind of election observation movement emerged. But it didn't really help to, 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 to change the regime. And I don't think we should really rely in the hope that IT solutions would change everything. it's not really, I'm afraid it doesn't really change much in authoritarian countries. I'm a bit skeptical. I think people should change. It's great that they go and see elections with their own eyes, not sit in front of their monitors, but just go and see. And that's what maybe uh, helped them to change. And that's what's important afterwards, you see. Upon seeing this stuff in their own eyes, it it really affects uh, how you think, actually, about the country. It's really affected me as well, I believe, many people. And after that, I believe those people who now became more political, I hope they will remain political for a while and they... And this is what might really lead to changes. Not maybe that moment exactly in history, not these elections, but maybe hopefully, or if the situation remains that fragile, both inside and outside country, this might change things over time. And if more people join pro-democracy movements, it would might lead to continuous protests that might in the end lead to some changes. Though I'm not sure really if authoritarian regimes would disappear. It doesn't really normally happen to authoritarian regimes recently. <laughs>
1: So Tikhanovskaya has said she's been very careful in her statements about what should happen during and after these elections. She said you should only come out on the final day of voting, preferably towards the end of the day, and the idea is to show the masses of people who truly support her. And she's been organizing and she's made very careful statements about what should happen after the election, which is that people should defend their votes. We know that in Belarus, making calls to go to the plushed to the square or the Maidan is uh, against the law in Belarus. And even for calls to do that kind of thing, they've in the past preemptively arrested uh, politicians and activists. So how do you imagine these very first few days after the election going?
0: Yeah, yeah, it will be very interesting days, I think especially night after election because we have this tradition after each election Belarusian people go on the squares or at least one square in Minsk and try to stage a protest normally it's been dispersed but it depends really 2006 as you mentioned there was quite interesting movement I've been part of it as well and it was quite positive optimistic though unfortunately it failed as well so there might be many scenarios I think what we see this time we didn't see before it will be large protests, not just in main capital, but also across the country in in smaller towns, smaller cities. And maybe we might see, like, not one, but 30 protests. And that would be something very difficult and challenging to deal with for the government, for the police.
1: So I know that you monitor social media very, you know, carefully as part of your research. And I, I can't help but remember that when Lukashenko announced the whole topic of the mercenaries, he specifically mentioned Telegram. He said, don't don't believe all of the rumors that are spreading on Telegram or something to that effect. Mm. Does anything new about the social media landscape change how things are going to look immediately following these elections? Has Telegram or other tools allowed people to better organize or has it informed them in ways that they weren't informed before, etc.? It's a good question, but there are also some
0: challenges for those people who use social media to organize. They use it, and Telegram might be used for organizing as, as it's been used in some other countries. And definitely the Tikhanovskaya campaign created uh, several dozens of local Telegram channels that would help to mobilize people and organize them during the election day and after maybe. But it also seems to me that they will try to block those social media platforms. That's what happened in 2010, six. Uh, 2006, and um, it means that those people should be prepared. They should be prepared, and I'm not sure if they are. So Telegram is difficult to block, but uh, they might switch off internet completely like they did in Egypt Egypt 2010. So really, uh, people try to play smart uh, sometimes. They create those IT solutions. They rely on sophisticated social media campaigns. But in Belarus, government responds very brutally and very simply. (laughs) They just switch off internet. They just put you in prison. They take your phone. And uh, you can't do much about that. It's much physical power against uh, kind of this intellectual
1: power. In Ukraine, social media was key to Zelensky's rise in such a kind of shocking and, and new way. His Instagram, his telegram tactics... Did you believe that the new novel or new strategies used by the Tikhanovskaya campaign played any role in her popularity? Or is it more related just to these structural reasons, Belarus's stagnation and tired of the president? Or do you think that, again, these new media strategies play a role? And do you see any similarities between Tikhanovskaya and Zelensky? Yeah, I do see similarities, but maybe
0: not in technology, not in how they use technology, though it might be simple, but it's similar across the countries. What also makes it similar, as well as Ukraine's story, Tikhanovsky's story, and stories of actually many other recent politicians that risen to power over the last five years, I would say, what unites them all is, I would say, something called populism. Campaign of uh, current president, Ukrainian president, was populist, uh, campaign of Tikhanovskaya's husband, who sort of passed on his charisma to her once he got arrested. His videos, his content is very populist content, as well as many other political bloggers in Belarus. So I think that's what unites them. It's simple messages, they're emotionally driven, emotionally charged, and they're not really offering any solutions. They just criticize the government or they just uh, make it very broad statements that are not really about uh, any, uh, offering any ideas and any paths towards the future. I also wanted to add something on platform case. Uh, as I mentioned, I think YouTube, for Zelensky, it was Instagram that really became one of the hugest platforms that he, he used and uh, attracted a lot of attention. But Belarusian, current Belarusian sort of leading political opposition voices, it's YouTube. And I think that's what uh, really signals huge change in media system in Belarus. So previously 70% of people in Belarus watched TV, consumed TV every day, get news from TV, and this TV is totally state control. Now this monopoly of state being broken, and this this is what happened over a couple of years. And in similar to Zelensky, you see it's a video content that really, really uh, is really important and is getting closer to people is very easy. It's not text as it used to be before. Social media were around for a long time, but this time, video became so easily available, downloadable, cheap smartphones. Uh, is available to everyone. So it means it's much easier to access people through those platforms. That's what re- really makes it similar to
1: case of Ukraine, in a way. Returning to this post-election situation in Belarus, do you anticipate Tikhanovskaya continuing to hold meetings and asking people to film her on social media and spread the continued protest on social media? Is that kind of what you see as her next move? Yeah, yeah, well, I really hope she will.
0: And I hope as many people as possible would stay. That's what happens every election period. So up on elections, more people join. It used to be political parties. These days it would be some kind of movements, perhaps emerge from it. Another candidate offered, already announced another campaign to return to the constitution of 1994. So the first constitution Belarus ever had as an independent country. It's also a good idea. I think it would be great if more people joined those movements. What I think government response would be, they would try to to filter internet. The first time, there is not much censorship in Belarus, like in Russia, for instance, or Central Asian countries. But now there will be more control of uh, internet, I'm afraid. And maybe, including YouTube, other social media, they might be filtered. And that's why it's important uh, for people who joined also to kind of remain active and follow those candidates on other platforms might be it's also important you see also government tries to ar- arrest now people who administer who administrators of social media accounts of those of that movement that emerges and interestingly it doesn't really help anything because once they arrest one administrator ten emerge immediately who would keep on doing the same job so it's interesting to see it because this was my theory, I came up a couple of years ago, and now it's been proved. The only way you can deal with this social media phenomenon is just to block social media and internet.
1: So, after these elections, when the protests start, do you think that the Kremlin could be acceptable to Tikhanovskaya becoming president? Because one thing that I did see is that her husband and some of the other, right, Babrika and the other, Sepkalo, what I've read is that they're less anti-Russian as some of the Belarusian opposition members have been in the past. So their anti-Russian stance is a little bit softened. Is, yeah. is, that, is that correct?
0: Yeah, it seems like, yeah. It seems like most of those people who are now leading this movement, they're less anti-Russian. I don't know what the Kremlin thinks of Tikhanovsky. I don't think they really anticipated her becoming president. What I know about Putin, and many people say, who observe Putin, is that they say that he really uses any opportunity to sort of expand his influence and power. So he might definitely try to use if any regime changes happen or any leader change happens, they would try to, of course, influence. And uh, for instance, the most recent significant regime change on the post-Soviet space was in Armenia. And though it the government became more democratic, it didn't really change Armenia's stance in terms of Russia. Russia and
1: Armenia are still very close. So might the same happen to to Belarus? Here's just my personal opinion, and let me see if you agree or disagree. I think that the, the Armenia analogy doesn't work for for Belarus. And the main reason is that Belarus is a Slavic people right on their geopolitical doorstep between them and Europe. And because their cultural traditions are so similar that Lukashenko's dictatorship being falling and being discredited would in a way discredit Putin's own political system because they're they're dictatorships that are so similar. For that reason, they, they wouldn't just let Lukashenko go so easily. Well, what do you hmm. think? About that? I'm really not sure to what
0: extent they really perceive Belarus in Kremlin as still fully independent. Lukashenko is a product of the 90s, yeah? And uh, there are so many leaders, local leaders in Russia, like powerful leaders, who've been remaining in power in Russia since the 90s. It seemed like it would be very difficult to remove them. Like for instance, Tatarstan president, Shevmiyev, yes? or. Aman in camera. So those people seem to be, they really helped actually Putin to come to power 20 years ago. So, Or even been opposing him coming to power. They were very powerful and they managed to get rid of him. And they really ruled their small regions, very much like Putin rules across countries. So they were authoritarian leaders. And I think it's not a problem for Putin to remove another authoritarian guy, whether he is inside country or bit outside, like on you say on you say on the doorstep, not really outside your house, just sort of on the doorstep, like Belarus might be viewed from Kremlin. so I think for Putin it's it's more like you know the the Highlanders the Highlander slogan is only one should remain yeah <laughs> only one uh, there is couldn't be only one ruler of the post soviet space and it should be Putin definitely from his
1: view <laughs> let me give you another scenario let's say that the elections are falsified uh, Tikhanovskaya brings her supporters out it's kind of it's the largest uh, protest that Belarus has ever seen in cities across the country. What does Lukashenko do? He uses the security forces to violently suppress them, including with blood. I don't know if you saw this comment, but the candidate who was barred, Tsipkalo, from Ukraine yesterday said that Lukashenko will not use violence against his own people if they come out massively enough. He'll probably flee to Venezuela. <laughs> So why do you think Sapkala would make that statement, and do you think that Lukashenko would flee Belarus if the protests were large enough, similar to something like we saw in Ukraine with Yanukovych? I think that what Lukashenko been doing over the last couple of months, once he
0: saw the whole the whole story about uh, dissatisfaction with his rule, that definitely been clarified to him by his aides, he have been actually building a military cabinet. He, the new government he just appointed a couple of months ago, it's clearly sort of military style government. And what he was doing a couple of weeks uh, before the last day of, uh, of the campaign, he have been visiting all types of military establishments military bases, police bases, meeting chiefs of security. Clearly, he'd been preparing to rely on them until the very last drop. I hope it will never get to that scenario. But if if there would be any sort of harsh conflict, he would rather act like Gaddafi rather than just like Tunisian president, for instance, Ben Ali. I think he really going to stay in Belarus until his last drop, unfortunately, it seems to me. Though, of course, it might be different, but it doesn't look like it can be different. I don't know what Tipkala thinks, so he's going to go to Venezuela. I mean, his friend who been ruling Venezuela is already dead. <laughs> I don't know who going to meet him there.
1: Right. I think it's the, the idea is that, like, where can Lukashenko flee to? And he wants to build this perception that that's what Lukashenko should do yeah, when yeah. Uh, these, these protests start по телевизору
0: вам не покажут, что абсолютное большинство против нынешней власти и хочет нового президента. Но это правда. Но это, Но правда. это правда. Но это правда. Но, это, Но правда.
1: это правда. I have a friend I was speaking to and her objective opinion is that Lukashenko will no longer be president by the end of the year. I mentioned
0: I mentioned that I've been part of process movement and a large, large kind of a of revolution in 2006. That was my very sincere thought in 2006. I thought that he won't remain until the end of the year. And it repeats again and again. And I think that on the one hand, Belarusian regime been stable for a long time, very stable. At the same time, we know authoritarian regimes can collapse very unexpectedly and very, very, very fast. In in other words, anything can happen. He might remain president, he might not. Definitely his chances to remain president been decreased over last month. So it will be very interesting to see and to follow events in Belarus.
1: I, I appreciate that answer. If I could, I would like you to get maybe slightly more concrete. I have seen the video of Lukashenko's talks with Zelensky and they were very friendly. It seemed to me that Lukashenko might realize that, you know, times are changing and look at what's happening in in neighboring countries like Ukraine. So do you think that his response was not that, oh, I should prepare for, you know, the democratic future of Belarus, but instead, let me prepare to prevent what happened in Ukraine? from happening in in Belarus. And then I guess, how does all of that affect, again, your percent chances of how you think he ends up? Does he realize that peaceful change of power through elections can happen and that that it's normal? I think Lukashenko had been preparing for
0: what he calls color revolutions for many, many years. And today, I think one of his officials said that we had six color revolutions or attempts of color revolutions in Belarus every time after elections they attempt to have a color revolution though i'm not sure it's true but uh, i think he he doesn't really see himself as a democratic leader in a democratic state and he communicates with zelensky only because he he should but perhaps he f- actually found more th- affinity with poroshenko it seems like because they at least met more often so in terms of percentage <laughs> i don't know really because i think uh, percentage is low really it's not it's not high. It's it's never like even above 10%, I think, in terms of it can happen at a very particular time period, though it definitely will happen one moment. But again, I'm not really sure that change of president in Belarus would change the whole regime system. In fact, it's more likely that it won't.
1: That's what really worries me. The the other thing I talked about with my friend is who would replace Lukashenko? How could he leave, but his regime system changed? Are you talking about young Nikolai taking his place? Or are you talking about like the head of the KGB or the security services or a a general? How could Lukashenko leave without his regime system falling?
0: What I think uh, will happen if he goes, he steps down. We had a couple of cases of that. In Zimbabwe, recent change of power. And in fact, they were actually supposed to be friends with Mugabe, change of power in Kazakhstan. Those things happen just very quietly and controlled by the elites and elites would like to remain in power. So definitely within the government, there are several figures who've been preparing themselves for these roles and they might be very happy to take on obviously he has three sons as well and he has this yana song where he was carrying around everywhere seemed to me more like you know this old uh, middle ages feudal approach in europe when you need to have a hair to your to your throne to your regime to to be to be to feel yourself safe so similar maybe was a lukashenko approach but yeah, but I think there are there are many there are many people who are ready, I think, to to become next Lukashenko. Maybe first softer Lukashenko, less uh, less uh, um, confrontational, who would impose uh, lockdown uh, for COVID, who would uh, maybe get better relationship with everywhere around the country. But eventually, they would just strengthen the regime because the system this this system cannot get any other design but authoritarian. System, I'm afraid. So your
1: perception is that a system like that could continue to exist for a long time, so for 20, 30 years. Yes,
0: most likely, most likely, they will, it will it will it will remain. Some people say that democratic changes to Belarus can only come when Russia changes, because Russia is such a black knight. This actor who constantly pushes Belarus towards not democracy the same time you know other thing what have, maybe we are living through this you know Belarus didn't have any statehood but what happened to new states post first world war they all became authoritarian countries but eventually, they all became democracies uh, sometime later. So maybe it's just we need to go through this path of 20, 30 years of authoritarianism. And then finally, we should realize that no, no, democracy is better. Though I don't think now democracy is the most popular way to organize your country, I'm
1: afraid. <laughs> What's so interesting to me is how the Belarusian elites and people don't kind of see democracy as the next step of historical progress, almost like in a Hegelian way. I mean, Belarus does have some democratic traditions. I know that there was a a state in 1918 called the Belaruska Narodna Respublika, like the Belarusian People's Republic, which was like a aspirationally democratic state. I mean, how is democracy talked about within the, the state's ideology today?
0: Clearly, democracy isn't of any value for the state ideology of Belarus. Uh, We don't know what really people think about democracy because any independent public opinion polls in Belarus are prohibited. So there are no reliable polls that would tell what people really think, do they want democracy or not. And what they mean by democracy? If we talk about democracy. So, and many people would say that people who now participate in the current movement they just want a change of the of the head of state rather than the system, and that's what really worries me. Is that is that the sense that you get from Tikhonovskaya example? It, this is the sense I get from observing the streams or from from her and similar similar protests that have been happening around country.
1: So, if that's the case, then you could see a scenario where Tikhonovskaya would be acceptable to the Kremlin because. She doesn't want to actually change the system she's just calling for the change of the head of state here perhaps it would not be correct because she actually calls for change of the the president so she says
0: if she's going to elect, be elected she will stay for six months and then there will be new elections but within these six months only old people only old elites would remain in power so my question is if those people remain in power those people are responsible for all the falsifications and all fraud during previous elections so why don't they Keep doing the same stuff, but for just another candidate. who's are going to ensure that we're going to have better elections next time. This is a very weird position, in my opinion.
1: Yeah. So she's not doing enough to make sure that the next elections would be free, even if she did win? At least
0: according to her current strategy, I think, or uh, people are around her who offered this idea. I think at the moment, it seems to me that everyone is just thinking about the personality and next president think it's a wrong position. What we need to think about is a next constitution, the next political elite who's going to, and it should be very different. We shouldn't repeat the mistakes of previous that we had after Soviet, -Soviet, post-Soviet, immediately post-Soviet years when we didn't change elites mostly.
1: So I know that there's been a campaign. Uh, Well, there's two versions. Campaign 97 for the 97% and then there's like Sasha, three percent. Either you're in the three or the ninety-seven. W- within the ninety-seven campaign, there's been this push to have Sylviki and people from the security services, um, like publish their or like uh, publish photos of their affiliation with the security services, and then something that like their their allegiances to the people of Belarus, uh, and that and and that they won't do. Illegal acts against the people, something to that effect. And the Tikhanovskaya campaign has, uh, on her, on on the stump during her campaign, has said, has told uh, uh, army and police people to not commit um, illegal illegal acts against the people because you will be tried in the in the new Belarus and so on. Do you see a scenario where police forces or security forces? begin to defect and support the, the protests? Because that's been a key element in a lot of revolution, as we as we know.
0: Yeah, well, it will, it's always happening. And this type of kind of photos when security forces swear allegiance to the people, it's always been happening previously in Belarus as well. Not big numbers and not big numbers this time as well. Um, and, uh, well, that's what many people hope for. There will be this kind of people... The police won't crush on on dissidents, on protesters if a huge protest happens. Well, I'm not sure if it really can happen in Belarus. It seems to me there is no any case in Belarusian history when they would act differently under Lukashenko. So why they should act
1: differently now, I'm not sure. You don't think that those... Efforts or def- for defections have been happening in large enough numbers to make any no, no 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 not
0: much that numbers indeed we need uh, if I if we see like hundreds and thousands of posts of those people or from police who says I'm not going to crash on people then yeah it will be
1: the case for us Western observers what are what are the resources that you would recommend for those people who are interested and want to follow this you know that I would recommend my favorite radio Liberty Radio free Europe there's a wonderful English language Telegram channel that does English language posts all about the latest developments in the protests. But I was wondering if you had any other thoughts.
0: I think actually uh, recently more mainstream media, Western mainstream media report on this, on, the, on Belarus, and there will definitely be reports. But if you would like to follow it every day, definitely things like Twitter, a couple of Twitter users, a couple of prominent um, Telegram channels, they might be of use. And I think it's not a big deal to find them. Just type Belarus on, on Twitter. And in terms of what people should uh, really pay attention to, I think they should pay attention what's going to happen within the next week or couple of weeks after election and what will be a response of Russia as well. It will be very uh, important to follow Putin's move uh, moves immediately on Monday. It might be that we might really look at Moscow rather than anywhere else on this day and um, day after elections. And also I think this, this thing that it started with, this COVID pandemic and the response of the government, I think it's, it, it might really d- d- define many things in the end of the day. Because if the response would change, since if there is a second wave and government behaves differently, people might kind of accept uh, and they would forget all grievances. But if they're not, you know, those fear for their safety, for their life is the main thing they have, they have to lose. That's why they're not now that much afraid to protest because they know that there is something bigger than this possible prison term that regime might threaten them for protest. This is their lives. So COVID factor is, I think, very important for, for Belarus. And that's why, say, new vaccine would, would define things as well for the future of Belarus in coming months and year.
1: That's an interesting thought to end on. Although I do, I do, I will note that the videos that I've seen, you know, there's been, ma- you know, large, huge protests like out in the woods and Brest and, of course, in Minsk and um, a lot of the protesters are in masks but a lot are not so a lot of people seem to be going out and willing to protest despite covid and without a mask and so on but because now it's the the level of,
0: uh, of new cases is quite low in fact it's less than average maybe in western europe for instance compared to western europe but what have been happening in spring Many people perceived it as just sort of a little genocide of them because they perceived the government was totally get it totally wrong, you know, totally
1: wrong. And then Lukashenko was of course the the head of that because he was a yes. a, a COVID denier. And exactly. Then he said- exactly. And now he announced he had COVID himself
0: suddenly out of nowhere, and immediately some media started uh, propagating this
1: picture that he is sick. Is this just classic yeah. you know tactics to disparage the candidate and damage him or or do you think that there is some a- real questions about his health
0: yeah similarly like we had processed every election cycle belarus has these rumors about weakness of the dictator every time election comes 2006 there were rumors he had heart attack 2010 he also had some issues and it repeats itself again and again well, he might have something, but it doesn't look he's really weak or some or a, a guy who is going to die next week.
1: Well, Alice, you've been incredibly generous with your time. This has been really interesting, and we wish you and Belarus the, the best of luck in these coming days. Uh, thank you for having me and
0: uh, hope your audience would follow Belarus now, at least within next week, with their all attention. Thank you.
1: The views expressed on this episode do not necessarily reflect those of the show or the University of Texas. Please
0: visit Slavexradio.com for more information. Thank you for listening. The Slavic Connection is produced by the Center for Russian, East European, and Eurasian Studies at the University of Texas at Austin. Thank you.